This is Jim Duncan with Nest Realty and Sweat the Details. This week, we were joined by Mark Goodwin, the CEO of Charlottesville-based Apex Clean Energy, a nationwide leader in wind, solar, you know, clean energy. We talked about clean energy's growth, sustainability, the power grid, impact of wind on residential housing development, and their coming timber frame building in Charlottesville, and how the shift from steel to timber is a much more environmentally friendly option. We hope you enjoy the discussion. We did. This is Jim Duncan with Nest Realty and Sweat the Details, uh, sitting here with Jonathan and Keith and Mark Goodwin with Apex, um, based here in Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, Mark, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about you know who you are and what your company does and how long you've been here and just a you know, quick little summary of what, what you're doing. Sure. Uh, yeah, I'm Mark Goodwin. I am president and CEO of Apex Clean Energy, and we are a utility-scale energy company that's based here in Charlottesville. We started the company in 2009, and what we do is we we develop, we design, permit, uh, finance, um, we sell the power, and then eventually build uh, renewable uh, utility scale renewable projects, wind and solar, uh, and then we also uh, sometimes we operate them on behalf of the the owner. So it's a it's a turnkey scope that we do. Uh, the project, uh, the scale of the projects, and we're a national company, um, so we're building projects um, from, uh, you know, Texas to Illinois, <coughs> uh, Michigan, Iowa. Uh, we're developing here in Virginia. Um, uh, but the size of the project is as small as, um, you know, uh, you know, solar project that may be uh, 50 megawatts to wind projects, um, that are as big as 500 uh, megawatts, and then that the the uh, the scale or the investment size is is as big as um, 600 million dollars per project. Wow! And tell us why you know tell us about your passion behind this. Clearly, your passion about this. Tell us kind of what the drive was for your passion behind this, and why you, why this is so important to you and and to to Apex. Yeah, so there's a lot of folks that um, at Apex that really believe in our mission. Our mission is uh, to accelerate the shift to clean energy, and so it's a real luxury to have um, uh, a mission-driven company like that, and we attract people that really support it. My personal story is that I was a military officer, uh, a, a helicopter pilot, and uh, went to the Naval Academy and ended up doing a very uh, typical t- tours in, in the in the Navy, where we would uh, we would uh, go out with a battle group and uh, went to the Persian Gulf three times. And uh, around the the third time, I uh, I started to understand that like a big part of our national interest is in energy, is protecting energy is in making sure that we have access to uh, the petroleum resources in the Middle East. And uh, and it, to me, it was like, uh, you know, a, a moment where it's just like, wow, we really spend a lot of resources on this. And I came home about the time I was ready to get out of the military in, in 1998, and I, I actually was getting engaged in Palm Springs, California. And I saw my first... Uh, utility-scale wind turbine there, and it was an absolute uh, epiphany moment for me that that's what I want to do. We actually we stopped the car, we uh, got out, and I, I still have the pictures, the grainy pictures today of standing in front of, uh, of a wind turbine, uh, understanding what I wanted to do. 
so I, I did. I had, I did get out of the Navy, and I just uh, um, I, I couldn't find a job right away in it. But I eventually got enough experience to where I was. I interviewed uh, to work for a wind turbine manufacturer, a Danish wind turbine manufacturer called NEG Micon, and we were selling uh, selling wind projects across the country, and uh, that's how I got into and learned the business. So how, how big is Apex now? Uh, so Apex is, uh, we're about 214 people last, last, last I counted. And most of those, you know, 80% of those are here in Charlottesville. We have uh, our, our, our second largest office is in Minneapolis. So we have a, a, a little center of gravity there. A lot of projects that we're working on are in the um, upper Midwest, so it's a good to have a base there. Um, and you know we're you know we've been profitable since since 2012. So we we built we started the company in 2009, and that was time that we spent doing M&A, you know, acquiring development stage projects, building our our, our capability. You know, we've added scope uh, as we've uh, as we've grown. So we went from, you know, really being a, an M&A and a development shop to a company that can build and operate. So those were just adding people along the way. Um, and, uh, yeah, we built our first project in 2012. It was, at the time, the largest single-phase project in the state of Oklahoma. And, um, and you know, that's been a good state for us. But, uh, you know, ever since then, we've been just uh, adding more projects, adding more people, more capability. Of of the projects you all do now, what what percentage goes solar side? What what percentage is wind, and how do you guys break that out? So uh, we when we when we started the company, we called ourselves Apex Wind Energy, uh, and probably I want to say four or maybe four years into it, four or five years into it, we added the clean because we knew we wanted to break into solar. Um, and we did that in full force here probably two, two and a half, three years ago. Um, so, you know, of, of the projects that we've built, they have almost all been wind projects. But we just closed financing on our first utility-scale solar as an 80-megawatt project here in Virginia uh, called Alta Vista, where uh, the power purchaser is Facebook. Um, and... You know, of our development portfolio projects that we are working on in a, on a development stage, I would say about seventy percent of those are wind, um, and the other is uh, is solar. So, so let me ask on, the, on this project with Facebook. So, Alta Vista, just south of Lynchburg, is is that where the the actual facility is? Um, so, for selling to Facebook, what is what is the transmission? I mean, there's there's no Facebook office near Alta Vista that I'm aware of. Maybe there is, and there is now. Sure. <laughs> um, how how do you guys sell to a national group that you know? How does how does that work? So um, you know, here in Virginia, we're in the uh, PJM interconnect, and so uh, you know, many uh, corporate power purchasers, Facebook uh, included, are interested in procuring renewable energy. Uh, in regions close to where they have uh, they have uh, a power load, so okay. uh, so there are a lot of of uh, tech companies that are uh, that have uh, data centers 
in Virginia. So Virginia is like, uh, you know, there's huge communication hubs that go through Virginia. So all the name brand um, tech companies have significant operations in Virginia, including Facebook. So uh, it is possible um, in a liquid market, which PJM is, uh, for for a power purchaser to do a uh, either a, a uh, physical or a virtual power purchase agreement from a renewable energy project. So we've done that in a number of cases, including Alta Vista, where um, they they create the opportunity for additionality, meaning new proje- uh, renewable projects get built because they are financing offtake. And that serves to for them to demonstrate that the new projects that are being built based on their power purchase agreement is adding uh, renewable resources to the grid, which is offsetting coal and gas, which otherwise would have been used to service. So it, it may not be that they are buying the power you are creating or you're capturing, but they're more that they're buying power and you are offsetting the grid with with your piece that balances. That's a that's a good way to think about it. Yeah. Okay. So. You'll see where I'm going with this one, but when you when you drop in this this new power facility, if you will, does that take it? Does that provide new jobs to that environment? And this and the the real question is, what impact does wind have on residential real estate? Um, so most of the wind projects, and I have to say, probably all of the wind projects that we have built have been on agricultural land. Okay. So uh, the, the farmers um, or the ranchers that we are, you know, our counterparts are the, the landowners, we generally sign a lease with them. And they, the way they think about it is it's, it, it is an, an additional crop for them. So you can think about the, you know, what has been going on here with tariffs. Um, a lot of farmers in, in multiple regions of the country have been struggling with tariffs and, you know, a good um, uh, way for them to offset some of the losses that they have because of the tariffs is for them to to have their additional revenues that come in from, from wind. So in most cases, you know, we're adding revenue streams to the land right. that we're, that we're uh, leasing, and it, it generally increases the value of that property because – not only can they continue to farm, but they bring in, um, you know, the, those those revenues from the from the wind leases. One of my questions also is, you know, with wind farms, and again, I, I haven't seen one, you know, in a while. Uh, but what impact is for the nearby houses and neighborhoods and, and communities? What impact does it have on those? Um, so there's been multiple studies that show. Um, you know, in, uh, in in a community where a wind farm is brought in, that it generally doesn't have an impact to uh, the houses that are, are there. You know, what we do is we not only bring in revenue for the the the, uh, the farmers who are hosting the wind farm, but right. there are also new jobs that come. So the O and M facility is part of uh, of of the of the wind farm. Uh, so there's economic development. We improve the roads, the tax base um, that in a local community. So lots of, of rural communities are struggling these days uh, to generate tax revenue for their schools. At the same time, they're losing young people. They're moving to, to cities. And these communities are fighting to, uh, to, keep, uh, their, to, to, to keep their young people there 
And one of the benefits of the wind farm is that we're helping them to fund their schools. We're helping them to improve their roads. So it is uh, it, it is universally a positive that the, the wind farms bring to local communities. Very cool. That's great. So, I mean, talk about, you know, community here. I mean, it, it sounds like community is a big aspect of, of your of your company um, and being part of the Charlottesville community is a big part of it. So t- I'd love to hear, well, make one other comment along those lines. You've got a big company for a, for a relatively small town. What challenges have you had growing a 200 plus person company over the past 10 years in a, you know, mid-sized, small to mid-sized market in the middle of, of, of Virginia and Charlottesville? Yeah, good question. Um, I, I mean, I think you would probably agree that Charlottesville has changed in the last 10 years, for, in my view, for the better. I mean, it, there's more diversity in the economy and, and the type of business that are that are here. There's like, you know, all kinds of specialty, you know, breweries and financial organizations and entrepreneurship um, has like really blossomed in this town. But when we started the company, you know, I think th- how I viewed it has evolved as well. When we were bringing in our first leaders, you know, that th- we were pre-revenue and, you know, not that many people in the company. And they really, really had to believe that they could be part of like building the company into something. And in those cases, it seemed, you know, that was like kind of like the, the you know, the version of Charlottesville was, wasn't didn't have as many opportunities as are today. It was still, I, I think, you know, viewed as a great quality of life. But a lot of those earlier hires were thinking of it from the context as what's my spouse going to do when they come here? And, you know, we had to, you know, we had to deal with that. And uh, we did. Um, but frankly, you know, in the past, you know, six, seven years, it, it hasn't like occurred. And it's just, it is a, a overwhelming positive in recruiting for people to come to Charlottesville because, you know, it, it blends uh, a quality of life in, you know, having, you know, the cultural um, aspects that associated with being near a university as well as like kind of the charm of a, of an, you know, an old Virginia town and the, and the, the rural and outdoor things to do here. So uh, I don't get that question um, anymore. And, um, and, and it is like, it is a positive also from the standpoint of, you know, we have a lot of UVA grads that work at, at, uh, at Apex and it is a draw for them to, to like, you know, be, a, you know, a successful graduate of UVA. They go out into the world and, and work, you know, across the country, around the world and having an opportunity in, you know, the various, you know, aspects of what apex does which is very you know um there there's a lot of different types of roles at apex we have engineers we have lawyers we have business people we have developers we have um you know operators so those like former uva people are like wow i can come back to charlottesville and enjoy the town that i love so much when i was a student and have like you know a you know a tier one company like apex to work for so it's it's really you know transition from that like kind of early you know is there a problem here to uh being an overwhelming positive you know it is interesting what brought me to charlottesville back in in the mid 90s um was that i my wife was a uva grad um and she was happy to 
come back to Charlottesville, but we had an opportunity at SNL Securities, which was a tiny, tiny company of, you know, less than 100 people at the time. And one of the things in the recruiting for SNL that they looked for was the automatic already existent ties to the community, right? They wanted people who had either been UVA grads or, or had some other long-term connection because it, it does, it, it makes the recruiting to Charlottesville a whole lot easier when somebody already has that, that kind of built-in love. Um, I want to want to shift if I can. I think this will tie to the recruiting questions for y'all as well, but wanted to ask you a little bit about the new building mm-hmm. um, and kind of what that means for you guys for growth and if you can just kind of speak to the design process and, and what's gone into into that that piece because that's a huge milestone for you guys and a, a big step. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, so the background is, you know, we started um, over in the Queen Charlotte building on High Street and we kind of grew like an amoeba in that building. And then, uh, you know, we, take, we took over the first floor and went up to the third floor and then we're the garden level. And then we expanded into the, the court square building when McGuire Woods was, was also a, a tenant over there. And we're filling out that building. And we started our, 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 our operations center, our remote operation control center, and that is in the former... Uh, Martha Jefferson Hospital, so that was a built-for-purpose, which is a couple blocks from where you're talking about. A couple blocks, so, so yeah. So we're a now broken up. That's right, community. So we're in three different buildings, and we were continuing to grow. And you know, Apex has always been a company that thrives on like very fast communication, and just like if there's a water cooler company, we're it. It's like you know, we, um, you know, we really need to be in fast communication, and being separated in the building makes that harder and we've wanted to put everyone under one roof for a long time. And so we've been working on it forever. Um, and you know, it's, that's a little challenging in Charlottesville with, you know, downtown office space is not the easiest to manage. Um, and so, you know, we finally got to a place where we said, look, we're, you know, we've been, you know, we, we have, the stability as a company and line of sight to, you know, where the size that we want to be as far as the, the a, a building that we would, and we started just work, working on a building. And, you know, one of the things that we've come around to at Apex is, you know, when you're at a renewable energy company, there's some level of complacency, like, well, I really don't need to think about sustainability because we're leaders in it. We're already doing it. This is, you know, what the company's about. But as we thought about the building, we wanted we wanted to also be a leader um, in how we made selections there. Uh, so we were fortunate enough to hook up with uh, McDonough, um, who is you know a world renowned architect, um, and he he got on board to the project and was you know he saw that we wanted to to be at a leading edge for sustainable uh materials and building practices and uh in and it's been like you know a match made in heaven for us to 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 partner with him yeah which is you know it's really fun i mean bill mcdonough has been i don't know if he began in charlottesville but he certainly was affiliated with the uvaa school was dean for a period he's you know but his practice as you said is a worldwide practice the fact that it's it's one of our backyard neighbors is is a pretty outstanding um kind of asset for you guys to have right here. And, and is this, is this the biggest project he's done locally? Um, 
to my knowledge, it is. Yeah, I'm not sure that he's done a big project in in Charlottesville at all. I, okay. I, I, th I think this is it. This is the, the be the first big one that he does, and the building itself is going to be very exciting. So, um, the the kind of sustainable building um, trend today, or like uh, craze, is probably the wrong world. But but a lot of people are excited about mass timber. Um, and as a building material, it is very exciting because it has a much lower carbon footprint than build than the traditional office building made of concrete. Just a and dumb steel. question: What is mass timber? So it's actually a building that's structurally made of wood, um, and so it's it's a it's an engineered product where they use layers of layers of wood that are treated and uh, with with resin, and then they make it into large beam structure and and you can do um you know the same things you do with steel you can do the same things you would do with steel it has like the strength of steel it has actually better fire um uh, performance than a steel building does i mean steel when it gets to a certain temperature it melts it loses its structural capability the the, the mass timber chars on the outside so it, it can be repaired after fire damage wow um and and from like the standpoint, you know, as there's more and more of these, there's there's definitely more of these now in the West Coast in Canada, but the East Coast is coming up now. So this would be one of the largest um, on the East Coast. It'll be eight stories tall, um, and it is just it is a much better kind of working experience to be working inside a timber building. It is beautiful. Uh, it is, you know, it, it's it, it's easy to manage from like a uh, a heating perspective, um, and it's it's I think going to be the state of the art for uh, for the the near future. And and what type of array are you guys going to put on the roof, or how are you all going to power? Yeah, so the 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 they'll have like they'll have well two separate solar arrays, uh, one that'll be on the roof, which will be. Um, it'll be on top of a pavilion. So th that'll be a resource that Apex will have. I think it'll also be, you know, p perhaps something that'll be open to Charlottesville as well. It'll have, like, views of the of, of the mountains. Um, and I think we'll have one more solar array. So the, the spaces that um, that Apex will use, so we're, we're, we're renting part of it out uh, to other um, companies, but we'll be net zero for the the uh, for the offices that we're taking up inside the building, meaning we'll generate as much um, power as we use. Yeah. So I mean, I, I will say, you know, Bill McDonough, amazing. Um, you know, he's done work with McDonough Brongard Design Chemistry, which is also based here in Charlottesville, which really is consumer product oriented, but his architecture side that's worked with Ford and and other people. His, I mean, one of his big pieces is bringing light into the workplace, bringing you know, a better health to the environment of, of the actual office environment. I would assume that all of those are, are principles that you guys are trying to bring in and, and make a part of kind of the corporate culture as well. I mean, is that a yeah, fair statement? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the, uh, you know, it's going to be high ceilings, open air um, type of, of, of feel to it. Um, additionally, we have, you know, a mentality at Apex where we are, we are encouraging our employees to to have like more sustainable practices themselves. So Apex um, uh, already provides a 
a grant to our employees to, to put solar on their homes. We have a grant for electric cars. Uh, so if you buy an electric car, um, uh, electric car, we'll, we give $4,000, $1,000 a year. So it's a little bit of a retention thing to just encourage the adoption of, of these like, um, you know, Clean technologies that, yeah. that are going to move uh, at the new building. We will, uh, you know, the plan is is to have like um, uh, numerous charging stations there, and you know where the you know municipalities are going is is that those those uh, cars charging during the course of the day are like our demand response resource. So that's where um, you know uh, cities are going as far as like their ability to to help. Um, the you know load following entity to balance load in a way that enables them to use more of the intermittent resources. So, hopefully, this building will also uh, that's like that's on the cutting edge as well as of of office spaces to have that capability. But it's one we're we're going to be tracking. So, just wondering of of your employees in Charlottesville, what percentage do drive electric vehicles? Or uh, I don't have a number off the top of my head, but uh, that's just that's just a great. I mean, I, I've not heard of that as an employee benefit, but that's yeah. Well, you know, we want to be leaders um, and, you know, a lot of people make, you know, they, they, they are pragmatic about how they make a decision to buy a new car and hopefully this puts them over the top. So people are not buying new cars just for the grant, but when they do, we're encouraging them to do so. I'd, I'd say probably maybe a quarter of our, wow. of our, of our team are in electric cars at this point. That's I have amazing. one myself. I'm not sure if Steve is there yet, but. But certainly putting charging stations <laughs> in the workplace will, uh, will make that more attractive. Yeah. Well, I, I want to take on the, the load balancing thing you, you mentioned. So my, <clears throat> we were doing prep for this. Um, one, one of the, the threads was, you know, balancing the grid and how predictable wind is. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so tell me a little bit about, you know, cause if the wind, the wind doesn't blow, how do you, how do you provide power? So, um, you know, one of the things that it's it's helpful for the public to understand is that a, a wind farm is part of an energy system, and the uh, regardless of whether you're a, a wind farm, a, a, a solar array, a coal plant, um, a nuclear plant, those are contributing to the power that is like that is brought into the grid. At the same time, that has to be balanced against what is demand. And demand goes up and down and up and down. And the grid operator balances what's being generated to match what the demand is. And the fact that a wind farm goes up and down, um, you know, given the gigawatts, the, 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 the numerous plants that are contributing to the grid, is, doesn't, does not make a, a, a real difference in, like, the minute-to-minute, like, how the grid is balanced. So it's part of, like... All those plants go into like a, a large grid, and when they can see the trend as it's happening, and what happens is they're balancing with the dispatchable resources at at the time when um, demand is going up or down, and that's done broadly. And like one wind farm is not going to change a, a decision that a large grid operator makes. I hope that that helps explain it. The dispatchable resource. What is that? Uh, something that can be like ramped up and down, like okay. by uh, on command. Now, solar and wind have certain amount of dispatchability with them. They can they can be ramped down, uh, you know. And sometimes, if they're like if they're being curtailed, they can be ramped up. 
but what's what the the new trend in power is that solar and wind will be paired more frequently with with battery storage so battery storage is becoming cheaper and cheaper and you know to the extent that certain parts of the grid have a lot of wind or solar in them it does get challenging to balance um like the the supply and demand of, right. of power in those regions and what will happen as battery storage becomes cheaper is it will enable uh, greater penetration of wind and solar in in those regions, especially those regions where it's already the cheapest. There's, you know, there's a, one of the prep notes I had was talking about it, the free. Uh, there's a Chicago free story, like, um, and Steve is stepping up to to provide a prompt. Right. Yeah, yeah. One of the, uh, uh, you know. People talk about like you know wind and solar because they're um, you know it's not it's not working when it's uh, when conditions are what 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 you want. Um, one of the attributes of wind is that it is it blows more in the U.S. at night, and it blows more in the winter and in most regions than it does in the summer. Solar is a nice complement to that. It uh, it is. You get more generation, and obviously it's happening during the daytime, and you get more generation during the summer. So in general, they complement each other. Um, one of the the busts that people had thought there was related to wind is like in ultra cold. Um, you know, some people have the idea that like the the wind is not blowing, or that it's not the the wind turbines can't handle that. the The truth is is that during uh, like cold events. When it is windy, that's what wind turbines love. So they love the cold because the, the the density of the air is 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 better for them. Uh, and during recent polar vortex, the ones that didn't get too extreme, the wind assets were blowing um, at the time when it, the power was needed the most. So it was a beneficial asset to the to the system during those during those events. Um, Rocky Forge is a project that we are developing we have a power contract with the uh, Commonwealth of Virginia we announced that recently um, if you looked at what the wind was doing during the, when the polar vortex hit Virginia it was generating very well it would have been generating so as we look at you know solar and wind and all of these things where do you see renewable going in the next two to five years so <clears throat> If you look at like a, you know a state by state trend right now, um, uh, at many uh, many states are passing so-called renewable energy standards, or they're making commitments where they're transitioning from um, you know where mo many of them are in you know ten to twenty percent renewables to hundred percent clean energy, um, and the, the the target dates for those uh, is anywhere from twenty. Uh, 45. Um, Rhode Island just passed a renewable standard um, recently. By 2030, I think they want to be 100% renewable. Wow. Um, but is, that, is that achievable? It's very achievable. I mean, uh, for Rhode Island, um, you know, they have the benefit of, of, of being near offshore resources. So um, they can build, you know, large offshore wind farms to, to meet their requirements. But the trend is, you know, we're we're figuring out how to deliver the projects in those states that are requiring 
um, th that they make the shift off of fossil fuel. So that'll be a lot of collaboration between states. Some, a state like Illinois, for instance, um, you know, its neighbors with um, Iowa. Uh, Iowa doesn't have quite the load that Illinois does, so those it'll be it, it'll be benefit to both Iowa and Illinois that they cooperate with one helping the other to achieve their renewable goals. So we see a lot of states and utilities and corporations that are making those types of goals. And so for us, you know, we are long carbon solutions in a market that's really growing. Um, so I, I see obviously a bright future. You know what. What keeps me up is, you know, how are we going to do that? Uh, we know the demand is going to be there, you know, that with these state RPSs, with these corporations and municipalities wanting to go all clean energy, um, but we need more transmission, uh, more transmission lines. That Those are very hard to cite, takes federal action, sometimes regional action for those to get built. We also have problems with, um, you know, false narratives going out and being spread in, in communities um, and making it harder for us to cite projects. So citing and permitting at a state and local level has like um, gotten harder, I think, in, the, in, the, in, in recent times. And um, I think that, uh, you know, policy at a federal level still is uncertain. So, um, you know, there's a lot of ideas in, in the Congress about how to take some of these state initiatives and make them federal initiatives. So I'm looking forward to that, but we still, we need leadership at a, at a, at a federal level to, to achieve what we're capable of. So, so as we wrap this conversation up, uh, tell me what the future holds for Apex. So in the near term, I think the, the thing that'll be different is, um, is we'll be doing a lot more solar uh, so, you know, we've been working at a, at a development stage on our solar projects now for two and three years, and those projects are getting ready. And so we're building our capability there, and the projects are becoming um, more advanced. So we're excited about, like, adding solar uh, projects. Um, and then we're also working hard on storage. So those are two uh, kind of differences in like kind of the pro the products that we'll be bringing. Um, we are you know looking at different ways to engage um, at a um, at an, a power purchaser level at a um, at a finance level that I I think will enable us to you know deliver projects in a different way and more innovative way, but. Um, and we're like going into some new states, um, which um, is always exciting to like, you know, uh, to, to, to build a project in, in, a, in a new region and, and uh, develop that capability. That's great. Thanks so much for taking the time. Mark, right. thank Very you. It was great. Mark, it's been a great day. Thank you so much for the time. Thanks for having me.